Scripture comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verses 10 through 13. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while, because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Good morning, church. It's great to be in worship with you here today. Those online, hello to you as well. Uh, Before we get started in the sermon, I just wanted to say a quick little note. Uh, Many of you in the congregation that are on our email chain got the note this week. Uh, There have been some pretty significant shifts in the denomination that have occurred this week. Um, In a very quick nutshell, uh, basically what has happened is the General Conference, which is the whole worldwide United Methodist Church that gets together every four years, uh, they had to postpone that in 2020. They've not been able to get together, and this year it got postponed again. Um, The reason why that's important is because... Uh, there was some legislation that's been on the table for some while for the denomination to uh, basically vote upon a protocol that was an agreed upon uh, by all sides to be able to split the church up and to go into three different denominations, potentially two, three, or even more denominations. Uh, basically, when they had to postpone that uh, general conference once again, uh, there's kind of the reasoning of why do it next year when the year next year is 2024, you'd be doing the normal general conference then anyways, and the amount of money it takes to do that Uh, It would just make sense to postpone it. So with that being said, there were a lot of churches and a lot of pastors, a lot of people uh, that were part of some of the different groups, and specifically the WCA, which is part of the GMC church that's being launched, uh, voted on May or voted to say that, hey, on May 1st this year, we're going to launch the church one way or another. Uh, With that being announced, that kind of puts things, um, first of all, that was a very big surprise to me, your pastor, as well as many, many other pastors uh, in all sorts of various circles. Uh, big thing to know about that is, um, so while the church, that church will start on May 1st, it's not like any church that wants to go to that church has to be decided by May 1st or anything like that. In fact, there's a whole lot of questions we don't understand or we don't know. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out exactly how this process works and all these things as far as what churches uh, that are choosing to leave are going to be doing and how they're going to be doing it. Having said that, um, I would say that until we know more about some details as far as what's going on, it's really too early to have any type of get-together and talk about what the church wants to do, whether it wants to stay, to talk about or go to different options, until we know really what those options really truly entail. Uh, there's also the, the element of pastors themselves have to figure out things like pensions and stuff like that, and how is all that even uh, working in all these scenarios. So with that being said, um, we're going to put on the calendar some coming up info sessions, which of course at some point this year will turn less into info and more into having conversations about what's the church really want to do. Um, And so as you can look forward to those days, and I think those are ahead of us this year. Having said that, I do want you to be aware that there are churches that already had their foot pretty much out the door. And so uh, part of the process of leaving the United Methodist denomination through the means that are in the book of discipline Um, It has to be ratified by the annual conference, which the annual conference is not the general conference. I know that's confusing, but annual conference is just West Ohio. Uh, That comes up here in uh, basically June. And so what uh, some of our churches in our conference will be deciding they were going to leave no matter what. They don't need to wait for more details. They're out. 
some of the pastors are out, uh, and so they're going to be using some of that disaffiliation process in these coming days to, uh, to either join the GMC most likely, but at least to leave the denomination and get it ratified before annual conference. So I do want you to be aware of a few things. Uh, first of all, seismic shifts going on in the denomination and um, things that we thought maybe would happen in a kind of a graceful way uh, are going to be happening a little more wild west, it sounds like. Um, two, the second thing I want you to remember is that uh, we really don't know enough details to make a really good decision one way or another as a church. And until we get some of those details, it's senseless for us to uh, be really truly talking about what we're going to be doing, whether we want to stay, leave, or pursue something else. So uh, that's the second thing. And then the third thing I just want you to bear, when you hear about other churches that are leaving, don't feel like that's your only shot, if you will. There will be probably waves of churches that will decide to leave and go to various denominations. Um, and so just be aware that, uh, you know, it's not like this is the one opportunity you missed it and therefore that would be over. So I wanted you to be aware of that. Those online, if you have no clue what we're talking about and coming from some other country or just don't even know about the Methodist church, uh, we're just facing some interesting days, to say the least, that affect, uh, of course, churches, pastors, their families in some very, very deep ways. So we appreciate your prayers. And again, um, we'll have some more info sessions that at least are planned. And of course, as we know more information, uh, depending on what we can share, we may just be able to come in and say, we don't know more, uh, but uh, we'll be sharing whatever information we have at that time. With that being said, let's now uh, go to the Lord with a quick prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, the good news, church, is that whatever days are ahead of us, we're still the church here now, so let's still do ministry. Let's still go to the Lord, and let's still do what God wants us to do for our world and our congregation and for the community around us. Well, we're starting a new sermon series. Woo! So I had uh, some people practice the wave. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to make you do that here today, but we did practice it beforehand service just in case. But uh, we're going to be doing a new sermon series, and this new sermon series is called this. Uh, family pictures not posted on social media. And then what the idea behind this sermon series is uh, we're entering into the season of Lent. Ash Wednesday last week marked the beginning of that. And the season of Lent for the church is a, is a good time of reflection of one's own heart, one's own soul, uh, even corporately as we who we are, and to really reflect on that and to really ask God to transform us and change us. Not because, ooh, we need to be, you know, this prude people per se, but we have joy when God transforms us and makes us more into his image. And so, as we're here this time, we're going to be looking at uh, some, some people's lives in the Bible. Now, as many of you know, I, I hopped off social media a number of years ago, right? And so, I'm not the social media guru at all, and, and there's reasons for that. We won't get into them, but basically, my life's better by not being on it, and uh, I'm, I'm convinced of that. However, I do remember when I was on it and using it quite often, there was this phenomenon that everybody sort of made fun of, and the idea was this, is that your best pictures, your best self, the most fun moments of your life made the Facebook page. And every moment up that led up to that moment, all the tears, all the crying, all the scraped knees, and all the hurt never made it there. And so basically, whenever you look on the Facebook or wherever social media you're using or Instagram or whatever, you find pictures of people that really, truly are only part of who that person is. And so, of course, on social media, you know, you never want to post all the things that led up to the cute kid's picture, you know, that moment that you, everybody goes, that's the cutest picture in the world, right? You post that picture, everybody says, oh, so cute. But yet, you know behind the scenes, 
there was some tough talking going on because those kids weren't behaving, right? And some tears were shed and some threats were made and some even pleading and bribery took place to make that picture happen, right? And so we're looking uh, at some people in Scripture who really are heroes and heroines these next uh, few weeks. And we're going to be looking at just maybe some of the ways in which they weren't always the greatest hero or heroine. And in fact, they, like you and I, met a world full of gray areas and full of decisions, sometimes had to make hard choices, sometimes were left with both not a good decision, but both two bad decisions, and had to choose the best one of those, and they did to the best of their ability. And so we're going to be looking at some of those items and some of those places in Scripture where people, uh, maybe we read them and we go, hmm, I'm a little unsettled with what happened in there. Of course, that's through that God's going to speak to us. Well, our, so our reading this morning comes from Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 13, but that story goes on a little further. But I do want to say this, is that in Scripture there are wonderful stories. They're full of characters. And what I love about Scripture is that characters presented in the Bible are human, and they make mistakes, right? They blow it like you and I do. They choose bad sometimes or just make those, those moments where you go, what were you thinking, and head, you know, bopping moments. And there's all those moral gray areas and those mistakes. And our scripture definitely occurs some of these. And some of them leave us scratching our heads going, why is that in there? (laughs) And in fact, in some ways, this story here today is one of those moments that maybe you have scratched your head just a little bit. Now, it is important to understand this story and where we are in the Bible. And so if I was to show you my Bible that's open here today, a hard copy of it, here's the front page. Here's the back pages, right? And you can see where we are in the Bible at this moment, right? This is, the Bible has opened, and we're right here, right? We are very early in the Bible, if you've never read it before. Uh, Abraham occurs very, very early. In fact, it's in the first book of the Bible, and in the first half of that book is the story of Abraham. And Abraham is known as basically the patriarch of the Israelites, the father of the faith, if you will, the first person, uh, you know, after the flood that really, truly put faith in God and went God's way, and God's promises were made through him. And of course, so much good said could be said about Abraham and his faith and his journey. But of course, there's those moments where you go, ooh, you know, we call them cringe moments in life sometimes, where you go, oh, I don't know about that. And our story here today is one of those. And the story takes place, first of all, with a famine in the land. That's really important to understand because famine is a really big word and when the Bible uses it that doesn't mean like food was scarce it means food doesn't exist it means that through either drought or something that has happened the crops didn't grow and so all your livestock don't have anything to eat and so they're not around either and you are in trouble and so what are you going to do you have to basically leave where you are in this story at this point Abraham is interesting because he comes from the land of Ur the Bible tells us And his father actually left Ur, took his children with him and their families, and they left, and they meant to go to Canaan. They never got there. They landed up in a place called Haran, which is Turkey, if you think modern Turkey nowadays. And they ended up there. But God said to Abram, after his father had passed away, he said, Abram, get up. Go to this land. This is the first story of Abram in the Bible. Go to this land that I'm going to show you. I will make you a great nation, and you are going to be a blessing to the earth. And in fact, everybody who blesses you will be blessed, and everybody who curses you will be cursed. And that was the end of the promise. And lo and behold, Abraham in faith got up, took his family, took even some of his other relatives, and they got up and they left the land of Haran and 
where they had established themselves and came down to Canaan where they were foreigners. And when they came, of course, they came with whatever they had, but then famine struck. What's important about famine is that in a world where you rely on your kin, in a world where you rely on your tribe, in a world where blood means everything, they were in a land where they knew no one. They were what the Bible calls an alien in a foreign land. What's really important about that is scripture calls us time and time again when it reminds us who the poor are, it reminds us to look out for the orphans, look out for the widows, and look out for the alien or the foreigner in a land that has no relations. And the reason why is because they were ready to be taken. They were ready to be uh, abused, if you will. They were ready to be stolen from and taken advantage of in all sorts of ways. And so this story starts out with Abraham, a famine in the land of a land where he doesn't have any support system or his family. They're losing everything and they're hungry. And there's no hope in sight. And so they get up and they leave and they go to wherever there is food. And there's food in Egypt because, of course, the Nile and all the farmland down there. So they leave and they go to Egypt. And while there, this interesting story happens that we read once again. It says in the scripture that as they went and entered into Egypt... Abram said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And then they will kill me and let you live. So say that you are my sister, and I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. And that's what they do. They go into Egypt, and Abram and his wife, Sarai, they say, hey, this is my sister, this is my brother, and guess what? That's actually technically half true. Because <laughs> actually, Sarai was his half-sister, believe it or not, when you read Scripture carefully in the verses before that. And so they go, they technically don't tell a lie, but it's a lie in the sense that they are married to each other. And so they tell this story. And sure enough, what Abraham had feared would come true is the Egyptians saw his wife that they thought was his sister, and in fact, the Egyptians saw it, and when Pharaoh himself, the officials, saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. The scripture says that she was taken into his palace and treated well for Abram's sake, or Abram was treated well for her sake. And he acquired sheep and cattle and donkeys and men servants and maidservants and camels. And of course, the problem is, the scripture says, she was taken. And the scripture is very specific in using that word right there and wants us to understand this was not a, hey, I'm asking you to marry me thing. This was, you're now in my court. And so, of course, this makes us very uneasy because Abram, who's supposed to be the model of faith and one of the first stories that takes place is he leaves and he goes and he basically panders his wife, if you will, to the Egyptians so that they're not killed. And that specifically he's not killed, that is, and their lives are saved. Eventually the story comes out and you wonder if the story stopped here or kept going in some fashion, what would be the rest of scripture? But the story keeps going. And in fact, the story says that the Lord inflicted a serious disease on Pharaoh and his household. And that Abraham's, when it found out because of this, he found out that Abraham's wife, it was Sarai, and she found out, he found out, so he brought Abraham. He says, what have you done to me? Didn't you tell me that I, she was your wife? Why did you tell me? And so he said, you know, take, your, take this woman and take all your stuff and leave and get out of here. And so Abram and his wife Sarai have to leave. And granted, they get to take some of the things that they were given, but they get to leave and go back into a land full of famine and hurt. And they go. 
This is one of those stories that you wonder, and possibly why we wonder is because there's, where's God in this, right? God doesn't show up and say, Abraham, do this. He doesn't say, Abraham, I want you to, to work through this. It's fact. God never even says, Abraham, you did good, you did bad, or you guys did this or that. And so we're left to kind of wonder and scratch our heads. And so, of course, many things come up into this story. Is, and we scratch our heads because Abram doesn't act really truly like that good guy riding off in the sunset here, does he? And his wife, Sarai, is put in this horrible situation. And yet we wonder, how in the world could this be? Now, of course, we don't live in the times that he did. And so it sounds harsh to us, may not be harsh indeed. It, and it's hard to know exactly how times were in those days, but it does seem like there were places when you were a foreigner, you were taken advantage of. In fact, in Scripture itself, we see places where foreigners were raped, foreigners were killed and then stolen from, foreigners were driven off whatever land they had acquired and taken, and all these horrible things happened to those who were considered aliens in the land. And so even if Abram's fear was justified, we're left with the question, was it right? And ask us in a morally gray world that we live in, are we right? Are we wrong? What do we do? There's much that's written about this story, and in so many ways it's hard to understand. In some ways you can give Abraham the pass, because of course he's just trying to live. They're trying, they have nowhere to go. They're going to Egypt, and this is the only way he sees possible. And then the other way you see, well, Abraham, man up. Take what's coming to you if you have to, but don't let your wife Sarai go through such a horrible thing to be given over to Pharaoh's court. And what is the moral since God really never says much about it at all? And we're left scratching our heads once again. Well, as I think about this story, one of the things I always like to do is step back from the story and look at the grand picture. Because there are some teachings that are very profound in this story itself. And whether or not we give Abraham the, hey, you chose the best of worst-case scenarios, or whether we say, Abraham, you still should have just fought it to the end and been truthful and taken what came. Nonetheless, the bigger story is almost more important. And in fact, the bigger story is this, is will God's plan be thwarted? And in Scripture, remember where we're at. The world had been created. The fall from Adam and Eve had taken place. As you go on in Scripture, there was the, the flood of Noah where the world was cleansed and renewed once again. And still yet, there was violence in the land. There was hurt in the land. There was people taking advantage of each other and doing all sorts of evil. And so God starts this new process of raising up a specific family in the world to become a great nation and tribe so that one day Jesus Christ could come from them and save the whole entire world. And is God's plan going to be thwarted? Is it going to be thwarted by famine? Is it going to be thwarted by powerful people such as Pharaoh that are going to take what they want, whatever they want? Or maybe in this point too, is it even going to be thwarted by our choices even if sometimes we fail to take the high road and we choose a very morally ambiguous choice? Will God's plan be thwarted? And the scripture says an emphatic answer to that. No. Exclamation point. I just hear that, people. I don't know if you know that's good news, but will God's plan be thwarted? The answer to that is no. Exclamation point. 
You're not, you're not, I mean, I'm waiting for the hallelujahs and the amens, people, right? So, church, you hear me today, right? <laughs> I'm telling you, this is a more ambiguous story. But is God's plan going to be thwarted? No. no! Is God's plan going to be thwarted, people? No. no! Exclamation point. Absolutely not. God's plan is going to work. He is going to be faithful, as the scripture says in 2 Timothy 2, uh, verses 13. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. No, in fact, God's promises don't end. In fact, God picks up the story. And, and at this point, to be fair, Abram barely knows God. God's basically given him this one promise. And as he came into the land, he said, okay, I'm going to give you your sentence this land. But they haven't truly made a covenant. They haven't done anything like that. But as you read on in through Scripture, God continues to work on Abraham. He continues to work on his wife, Sarai, who becomes Sarah. And through and through, a covenant is made. It eventually leads to not only the Ten Commandments and Moses and the giving of the law, which leads not only the prophets and the foretelling of he who is to come, but one day leads to God's plan of redemption, of he himself coming and Jesus Christ giving himself up for us and dying on the cross, being risen once again. This is a story, people. And as we look at it, it's not something that we post. This isn't normally the thing you put on your church, you know, Bible study, you know, thing to make sure that people come in and come see it. Yet not even Abraham's choices, even if they were wrong, could thwart God's plan. Not even Pharaoh, who was the most powerful person in the whole area of that whole entire world, could thwart God's plan. And no, not even famine. Not even the world going crazy and death and destruction could thwart it. So as you're here today, you may wonder in yourself and your life, I messed up too big. You think back on your life and you think about maybe a decision you made or you think about something in your life where things didn't go your way or maybe a choice you made or just a really boneheaded moment that you had. You think, you know what? God's done with me. I blew it. And yeah, I'm going to come to church and I'm going to try to give God glory. No, 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 no. The answer is no. Exclamation point. God's plans aren't foiled when God has a plan. When God has a plan for you and for me. We're surrendered to him and want to follow him. So today, church, God is faithful. Let us pray. Lord, as we're here today, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for your presence. And God, as we look at some of these stories in Scripture, they're stories that we often don't talk about or we kind of read maybe in our own silent reflection or in a small Bible study. But rarely, Lord, do we want to post it on social media and say this is highlighted real of a people of faith. And yet, Lord, we know in our own hearts in so many ways we can identify with Abram and his wife, who, Lord, had to make in really just spontaneous hard decisions, sometimes decisions that were both wrong and had to choose the best of them. And God, whether we're here today and we identify that totally, or whether we're, Lord, in our own hearts, we're still struggling with it. God, we know that the gospel conquers all. And so, Lord, once again, we cling to you as our hope. We claim the cross, the resurrection, and the giving of the Holy Spirit as ours. We know, Lord, that you will bring us faithfully to the end, for your promises are true. So, Lord, we thank you. Amen.